Buenos días familia, buenos días, buenos días, es un placer honestamente, un placer estar con ustedes otra vez esta mañana. Uh, for those who know me, I just need to say something real quick, I'm not leaving. Okay, some of you saw my Facebook post where I'm saying, hey, I'm renting out my house in Owasso, and I had like five people come up to me and say, Misael, where are you going? And I'm like, nowhere. <laughs> I'm just going to move to Tulsa, Tulsa, uh, because I just felt so convicted that I needed to be right there where our Tulsa location is at. Like, I want to be at one minute, two minutes away uh, from our church there in Tulsa. And so I'm not leaving, but I am renting out the house in Owasso, so I just want to make sure you guys know. I'm still with you, I love you, and I'm here. And uh, if you're new with us and we have it, okay. <laughs> that means there's more than five of you who thought that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Goodness, man, rumors. Rumors are crazy. All right. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm the campus pastor um, at the Mission Church. And the Mission Church is our second church location uh, that is located around northeast Tulsa, and it's in this bilingual community. Bilingual community. Okay. And uh, in this community, there's Hispanics, there's Anglos, there's all kinds of people, but we do ministry there in English and in Spanish. And so it's incredible is to be able to just look at people in this community and say, hey, I want to communicate the greatest message in the world about the greatest king in the world in a way that you can understand. And as we do that, I'm going to be honest with you, ministry there is not easy. Ministry there is a little difficult. We, we deal with a lot of people who um, are addicted, addicted to drugs. Um, there's a lot of homelessness. There's prostitution. Uh, there's really broken families with uh, single mothers or single dads. Uh, there's a lot of college students who are just so lonely. Uh, there's a lot of uh, young adults who are just so money hungry as well. And so that's all that we are, are dealing with. But, you know, even though it's not easy, here's what I believe. I believe that we have a God who restores us for the mission. And the mission is the Great Commission. And you see, because God has restored us, he hasn't restored us to fill a seat. He has restored us to be sent. And that is what we believe is that God has sent us into this community to see people restored by Jesus because they can't be restored on their own. They can't be restored by anything else. And here's the deal. If, if we really believe that Jesus restores a person, and people make up a community, you better believe I'm going to believe that Jesus can restore an entire community in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. And because of that, we're going to stand our ground. Because there's so many churches that are either dying in that community or have died or have moved more north or more south. But we will stand our ground because the last thing that this community needs is another gospel presence to disappear. And so we will not disappear because we believe in the Lord and what he's going to do in that community. And what I love is that we're not just going to stand our ground, but we are committed to infiltrating that community, infiltrating every aspect of it with the gospel and just trusting the Lord with the results. And so that's what we're leading our people for, this whole aspect of restoration. But you know what's interesting about restoration? I don't know if you've thought, about, thought of it this way before. But when you have restoration, something has to happen first. And that's repentance. And so really restoration begins with repentance. And that's what we're going to see in this passage that we're in. 
And my hope is that in the next about 25 minutes that I'll be able to guide us to see that Jesus has given us every single sign to trust him, to know him, to trust him at his word and to be restored by him. And to understand that repentance is so sweet. That when we repent before the Lord, he is so faithful to forgive and so faithful to restore. And so I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and find verse 38. And the verse is that little number, that 38 number. Yo sé que a lo mejor hay unos de ustedes que están aquí y nomás hablan español o son bilingües y quieren tener una iglesia que es bilingüe. Pero les quiero decir esto. Sí, van a una iglesia que es bilingüe y los quiero invitar a nuestro servicio en español totalmente en Tulsa, que es a las doce y media. Entonces, si, si quieres ir a un servicio totalmente en tu idioma, porque yo sé que es interesante venir en, en uh, una iglesia que nomás habla inglés, quiero que sepas que estás invitado. Quiero que sepas eso. So before we go into uh, Matthew chapter 12 and just kind of dissect this passage together, there's some things I just want to make sure you know. Uh, the first thing is that this is the first sermon of our sermon series of Easter called Signs. And so as we look together these next couple of weeks, we're going to see different signs that Jesus pointed to or that Jesus displayed in order for everybody to know, not just the people that are here, but for everybody to know that he was and is the historic hope that the world has been looking for. And that he is the promised savior that can restore our lives. He is the promised savior who took our place on the cross and rose from the grave three days later. That's our hope and throughout this whole sermon series. And as we look at this together, we're just going to see that Jesus is so intentional with his people. He is so intentional to restore them, to reveal himself to them. And then I just want to give you some context of Matthew chapter 12, and especially before verse 38. Some context is this. Jesus had already done so many signs, so many wonders and miracles. And two, to be specific, are these. The first one is Jesus is walking around, and it's actually the Sabbath, so technically you're not supposed to be working. And Jesus sees this, this person, this guy, who had kind of have like a shriveled hand, like a dinosaur hand, like, you know, rawr. and he, he like walks up to them, and he's like heals him. And his hand is back to normal. And he does this in front of Pharisees, in front of people. And, he's like, and people are like, what is going on? And then the next miracle that Jesus does, which is right before this passage, is that he casts out a demon from this guy. And again, he does it in front of people and Pharisees. And the Pharisees and the people are asking like, oh, wait, is this, is this of God or is this of the devil, of Satan? Like what is happening here? And they're just so confused. But what they're seeing is they're seeing Jesus make signs and wonders and miracles. And because they see all this, they like want to kill Jesus. Like the more miracles he did, the more they're like, oh, man, we just want to kill this guy. And Jesus knows it, but it doesn't stop him. It doesn't stop him at all. And he continues. But then we see these Pharisees have the audacity to ask Jesus this question. So let's go ahead and stand up together. And verse 38 is where we're going to start reading. And I'm going to read this a little slow and just point some things out for us. So starting in verse 38, it says like this. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I don't know about you, but I can kind of just hear the demeaning tone from the Pharisees who have already seen signs and they're like, yeah, come on, Jesus, come on, give us another sign, bet. 
You see, they're not asking a genuine question. They are mocking. And, and I just want to tell you, the church is a safe place for questions. Like Jesus invites questions. Like if we're not asking the famous question that we learned at five years old, the question of why, if we're not asking that in the church, what are we doing? Okay. So this is a safe place to ask questions, but this is not a genuine question. This is just a mockery. They're saying, come on, Jesus. And then in verse nine, it says this, he answered a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, real quick, Jonah might be one of the worst preachers that I know. I'm not going to tell you why now, but I'm going to tell you later. But that statement is crazy to me because Jonah's terrible. Like, I don't know who hired him to be a preacher, but, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why in a minute. The preaching of Jonah, and it goes on. And now, luckily, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Then verse 40, 42, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she will come from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. And praise be to God. Amen. Amen. I'm so grateful for you. You know to sit, even though I didn't say to sit. That was great. So the main idea that we see in this passage, and I'm going to point back to this time and time again, it's this. That repentance leads to restoration. Repentance leads to restoration. This is this big main idea. So if you go home today, if you go to a restaurant today and you're sitting there and you're eating your chip fry steak or your taco or whatever, and someone says, hey, what'd you learn at church today? You can say, hey, you know what? Repentance leads to restoration. And then you can explain the rest of the sermon after that. But repentance leads to restoration. And this is gonna be so vital for us because the reason the Pharisees are asking this question is because they have unrepentant hearts. They haven't repented. They haven't acknowledged the sin that they have inside of them. They haven't acknowledged that, man, they're in the wrong. And even worse, they have not acknowledged that Jesus, their Savior, is standing right in front of them. Like they are seeing him eye to eye, and they haven't even acknowledged him. And we have to understand, like, familia, friends, sin is serious. Sin blinds you. It is so serious. And sin is not just something that you do. Sin is the corruption of the heart. The kind of corruption that really makes you long to be your own treasure, makes you long to be worship, makes you long to be your own God. And, and anything that we think or say or do that doesn't align with who Jesus is or what Jesus has commanded, that's sin. And so we have to take into account because we live in a culture and we live on this earth where people say, hey, you know what, sin's not that bad. You know, if you just do that, that's not terrible. Like, that's fine, like who's gonna know? But you see, one thing we notice is that we shouldn't just be sad over our sin. We should be broken over our sin because sin separates us from God. 
We are broken people with a broken relationship with God, and it can only be restored through Jesus. Like that relationship, our broken hearts, our corruption can only be restored by him, and we have to repent before a holy God because he's the only one who can restore us. And so I hope we, we grasp that today, that we have to repent before the Lord, and repentance leads to restoration. So that's the main idea, but I want to give you just some points that will help us just to dissect this passage a little bit more. So the first point I want to give you that comes from the first couple of verses is this. A sign from below. A sign from below. Uh, the sign that Jesus is talking about is the sign of Jonah that this uh, whale, or not whale, uh, yeah, yeah, you say, this fish, this huge fish swallowed up Jonah. And I promise you that fish didn't swallow him and just like hang out on the beach. Okay, the fish swallowed him and hung out below the sea in the depths of the sea, in the depths of the ocean. And so as we look at this passage, I just want to remind you, especially before we even get to verse 38, that when Jesus healed that demon-possessed man, the Pharisees were asking, man, is this of Satan? Like, like did Jesus use the power of the devil to cast out this, this evil spirit? And I can almost just see Jesus saying, seriously, really? Like, let's just pretend that actually happened. Does that even make logical sense? That evil would cast out evil. Technically, wouldn't that hurt Satan? And so that's kind of what's going on. And so they ask this question, and the Pharisees are mocking Jesus for this sign. And kind of what they're saying is like, hey, Jesus, give us a sign that's like for reals, for reals. Like, like a sign that like we know wouldn't be the devil. We know it wouldn't be Satan doing it. Like, give us one of those signs. And I know what you want to do. All of you want to hate on the Pharisees. All of you want to say, man, these Pharisees don't even know. Let's have a reality check real quick. If we were there, we'd probably do the same thing. If we were there, we'd probably look at Jesus and, and, and even be with the Pharisees and be like, yeah, what they said. I know we think we're awesome, but we're not that awesome. We'd be in that same boat with the Pharisees. And the reason Jesus doesn't give them this sign that they wanted is because Jesus didn't do his miracles to impress people. Now, I want you to write this down because this is important. The miracles of Jesus were a proclamation, okay? The miracles of Jesus were a proclamation, not a performance. He didn't do it to perform like a magician. He did it to proclaim that he was God. He was the son of God, the son of man. That all authority, man, he had it. So he came and he used these miracles to proclaim who he was. And I just find it so interesting. Jesus' response is he looks at them and says, you wicked and adulterous generation. That's his first response. And Jesus is using this saying, this, this response, almost to just point out the idolatry in the hearts of these Pharisees. Now, again, idolatry, the way I like to define it is idolatry is anything that we treasure that's not Jesus. Idolatry is that thing or that that made up God that we have that takes the place of Jesus. That's idolatry. And, and Jesus is pointing out that these Pharisees, man, they, they were idolizing something else. They were idolizing things. They were idolizing themselves rather than worshiping God, rather than worshiping Jesus. And we could look at them and we could say, man, that's a Pharisee problem. That's their problem. But the reality is, is that humanity has an idolatry problem. And then I can really summarize this idolatry in, in four different ways. So what I want to do is I just want to share those with you. 
because I think it's a struggle that we have too. And so when I look at the world, when I look at humanity, when I look at even my own heart, how can I summarize the idolatry that we have? Well, here's the first way. We idolize power. We idolize it. And I want to show you this picture of a city because so many of us see how people can have control over a city. We see people that men have power over so many people and we just want that. Like we want power. We want control. We want to be the one in charge. We want to be the ones like, yeah, look at me. I got the power over all things. That's something we idolize. The next thing that we idolize other than power is pleasure. We live in this world that's like, I just want to be happy all the time. I want to feel good all the time. I want to be on vacation all the time. I just want to feel good. I want to smile. This and this and this and this and this. They idolize it because it's pleasure that drives them. Every decision that they make drives them. And maybe that's you. The next way I like to summarize this is not just with power. It's not just with pleasure, but it's with praise. We idolize praise. We want to be the ones who are worshipped. We want to be the ones who are celebrated. We want to be the ones that are like, oh, man, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're everything I've ever wanted. Blah, 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 blah. Some of you got that. Some of you got that. We want to be praised. We want to steal God's praise. And then there's a fourth way I like to summarize this, but I can't put it on the screen. It'd be too hard. So I'm going to need your help. I want you to take your phone out. Okay. And then I want you to give it to the person next to you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, take your phone out. I want you to look at it, but I want you to close it to where it's just that dark screen, okay? As you look at your phone and it's just the dark screen, it's locked, who do you see? Yeah, you see yourself. Now come in close here. So many times we idolize ourselves because we want to be the kings and queens of a world we didn't create. And that's something I say a lot, but I say it a lot because I feel it a lot and I see it a lot. And my friends, trying to be kings and queens of a world we didn't create is dangerous. That's idolatry. And that's what we see that Jesus is confronting He's saying, you wicked and adulterous generation, man, repent. Repent from that. And what I find interesting as well is that Jesus really, he really could have given them a sign. Like Jesus really could have probably just like levitated them like with the force or whatever and just said, hey, look, see, is that proof enough? Like can you imagine, right? Can you imagine if I came up here and I said, hey, in the name of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, I'm going to levitate this row. Boom. You know how many people would come to Christ? So many. So many. But Jesus didn't do that. You know why? Because Jesus found it more important to say, you know what? Let's look at Jonah than to give them a sign. You know why? Because he said, man, they don't need a sign. They need the resurrection. That's what they need. Because if I give them another sign, they probably won't believe. But what they need is the resurrection. Because think about this. Imagine if Jesus would have never ascended to heaven. 
Imagine if Jesus would have just stayed with us for like 2,000 plus years, walking around doing miracles, boom, 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 boom. But he never died and never rose from the grave. We would still be dead in our sins. There would be no restoration. There would be no eternal life. There would be nothing. We'd still be dead. But Jesus said they don't need a sign. They need the resurrection. And that's what we see right here of Jesus pointing back to that. And, and so you might be asking, okay, uh, Misael, I kind of remember the story of Jonah, but why does, why does Jesus point back to it? Okay, well, let me just summarize really quick the story of Jonah. So Jonah was this guy who was called by God to go to this rebellious people in Nineveh and to give them a word from the Lord that was repent or God is just going to repent or God's going to. But Jonah really hated the Ninevites. Like he hated them. And he got really mad that God would even give him a chance. He got mad. He's like, God, why would you even give him a chance to repent? Like just go ahead and, you know, that'd be awesome. And God was like, nope. You need to go. So Jonah was so mad that he just ran away from his assignment, meaning he ran away from God. So he runs away, and he's trying to flee. He's running. He's on this boat. He's sailing, and then the Lord brings a huge fish, swallows him up. Jonah's in the belly of this huge fish for three days, three nights. But it's, it's in that darkness. It's in, it's in the depth of the sea below the ocean, that there he finds restoration. Why? Because he repented and God was faithful to give him a second chance. And so he was restored. And then he was brought out of the fish and then the Lord said, okay, now go. So then Jonah goes to Nineveh and he gets there. Okay, so now I want you to imagine this. Okay, maybe some of you have experienced this last week. Maybe some of you when you were younger, I'm not sure. But you know, like when you were fighting with your siblings or, or when you were fighting with a friend and then your mom and dad walks in, he's like, guys, what are you, what are you doing? Okay, hold on. Okay, listen. Misael, you need to say, I love you to Caleb. So here goes Misael. I love you. And then mom goes, nope. You have to mean it. You have to say I love you because you have to mean that you're sorry. And you're like, I love you. And then, and then she goes, okay, you got to hug it out. Hug it out. And we all know those hugs. <laughs> Come on. You've been there. You've been there. So I want you to imagine that, but with Jonah. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches the worst sermon ever. Okay, so I'm just going to read this to you and act it out for you. This is in Jonah chapter 3. Verse 4, Jonah walks up to Nineveh and he goes, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's all he said. Let me read it one more time. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's five words in Hebrew, eight words in English. I didn't look it up in Spanish, but I'm sure it's like six. I was like, <laughs> like that's the worst sermon I think I've ever heard in my life. But guess what? Like, it blows my mind. Like this is how you know the Lord's working. Literally the next line says that Nineveh repented. What? That they repented? That they were broken over their sin? And when, when I read that, I'm like, Lord, thank you. Because even if I suck, like, you'll, you'll do great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and so I'm grateful for that. But it's amazing that Jesus uses that parallel. Because he's pointing back to Jonah, foreshadowing 
that Jesus one day, very soon, in this moment in time, was going to be murdered and killed, and then he was going to be put in the belly of the earth, in the darkness of the earth, in the depth of the earth, below the crust. But he wasn't just going to stay there because he's only going to be there for three days. And that's what he's saying. He's like, one day I'm going to give you the sign that you need, and that's the resurrection. Because it's because of the resurrection that we have hope, that we have peace, that we have all that we need, that Jesus is true and real. Come on, someone's clapping with me right now. Come on, somebody, somebody. And it just amazes me that Jesus does that. That he points to to Jonah and says, guys, like, this is what you need for new life. This is what you need to be brand new. Because without it, there'd be no forgiveness. Like there had to be shedding of blood and Jesus had to raise from the dead because let's just be honest, only probably 99.9999% of people would have survived that big fish swallow. Here's the thing, 100% of people don't survive death. But Jesus did. Jesus rose from the grave announcing, yeah, grave doesn't even like touch me. Doesn't even touch me. And, and I just, I just wanna be honest here. I know some of you, let's just be real, make it personal. I know some of you are probably in this moment of life that you're like, Misael, I've been praying for a sign. Misael, I've been praying for God just to show up. I've been praying for God just to just make it true that he loves me, that God would just tell me that he cares. Misael, I'm just wanting a sign. Man, I just want to love you right now. And I just want to say God has given everything to you for you to know that he loves you. Like God has revealed himself to the world before you were even in the world. Like like God loved you before you could even do anything for him. That's the kind of God we have who has revealed himself in such an intentional way. And we're gonna look a little bit more on this comparison of Jonah and Jesus because I'm so glad that verse 41 exists. Because verse 41 says, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So I'm going to give you some comparisons here of Jonah and Jesus. I just want you to hear me out. So Jonah hated the Ninevites. He only went to them because God forced him to. Jesus loved his enemies and he freely came to earth for them. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran towards his assignment. Jonah went because he had to, but Jesus came to earth because he wanted to. Jonah went to Nineveh to save his own life, but Jesus came to earth even though it cost him his own life. Jonah, after preaching his awesome sermon, stood outside the city hoping that God would judge them, hoping that they would die. Jesus stood outside the city of Jerusalem weeping for their salvation, weeping that they would be restored. Jonah was taken down into the darkness below the sea because of his sin and his disobedience. Yet Jesus was taken down into the darkness of death below the earth because of our sin. And so when we look at this comparison, we have one more. Jonah was petty. 
straight up petty. And Jonah was more upset that his little plant that was giving him shade died. He was more upset about that than the possibility of little Ninevite children dying. But then you have Jesus. In Hebrews 12, chapter 2, he says this. Jesus gladly enjoyed the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him, which was the joy of making rebels into sons and daughters. Jonah came with a message of condemnation. And Jesus came with a message of salvation. And so one who's greater than Jonah has arrived. And I just want to look at these Pharisees, and I'm sure you want to look at them with me and just look at them and say, what more do you want, bro? What more do you want? Jesus has made himself known. But then I kind of have to turn around and look at myself and look at us and ask the question, man, what more do you want? Because the Pharisees and us, we only have two options when we are presented the truth about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And I say this often, but again, I need to say it again. When we are presented with that truth, we have two options and there's no other option. Either we ignore Jesus or we adore Jesus. We either ignore him or adore him. So I want you to think about that. Because that's what's presented to us. Because I, I just know that in a room like this and, and live streaming this, man, there, there has to be someone who needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus and adore him. So that's what we see this first point, this sign from below. And then Jesus mentions really briefly this queen. So I'm going to briefly mention this queen too. So we see a sign from below, but then we see this sign from beyond. And just real quickly, we have this queen that comes from far away to try to get this wisdom from Solomon and see where he got it from. And just in a one sentence, really quick summary, she was searching for wisdom from Solomon. Guys and Jesus, we have the wisdom in which, in, in which is so true, who is Jesus himself. Like we have that wisdom. We have the wisdom, who is Jesus. And so we've, we've made some personal application. We've shown some pictures. I even had you look at your phone at one point. But what's like the true application for us this morning? The one thing we're going to really take away. Well, here it is. Repentance is our loudest praise. Repentance is our loudest praise. Repentance is something that the Pharisees didn't do. But man, it's something that we need to do. And repentance is so, so sweet because I want you to think about this. What would change? Like how would our view on repentance change if we viewed it as a way to praise the Lord? If we viewed it as a way to say, man, Lord, I'm so sinful. Lord, I'm so corrupt, but you are so faithful to forgive. You're so amazing. Lord, man, you've given me mercy and grace. How would it change our view if we said, man, it's, a, it's an act of praise to walk away from my sin and to walk toward my Savior, toward Jesus, my life. But I'm about to say something kind of hard, something that some of you are going to be like, whoa, why'd you say that? But I have to be straight up. Please do not wait until Sunday to repent. 
please do not wait until you're leading a small group or a Sunday school class to repent. Please do not wait to repent until you're caught. Like, like, like don't wait until you're caught to repent. Don't wait until you're standing there and it's too late to repent. Don't, don't wait until you're standing in front of somebody who really needs the gospel to repent. Don't wait until you're standing up in front of people to repent. Let's have the type of repentance that's very immediate to where if I'm being tempted and I know like I really want to dive in or I know I'm about to dive in, let's be the people who go, you know what? In this moment, I need to repent because I really want to do that. Lord, I repent. Thank you, they're so faithful to forgive. I'm gonna walk away. I'm gonna walk this way because life walking in holiness is just so much sweeter. So let's not wait to repent. And, you know, I know there's probably someone in here who has the audacity to say, Misael, I mean, I just really don't sin that much. I really don't sin a lot. Well, I'm not gonna say anything to that. I'm just gonna read some scripture for you. In 1 John chapter 1, verses eight and nine, it says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My friends, repentance is so sweet because God is so faithful to forgive, to purify us, to restore us, not just to sit, but to be sent. And hear me when I say this, and he's coming close, like your friends need to see you repent. Your kids need to see you repent. Your spouse needs to see you repent. And repentance can be our loudest praise because repentance leads to restoration. And that's just incredible. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're gonna be giving you guys these books to read it, to investigate the case for Easter, to be able to give it to someone else. Because I know that you know people who need to be restored by Christ. So what I wanna do in this moment is just pray with you and for you, um, and then we'll end our time together. <clears throat> Lord, in this moment, I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful, Lord, for your mercy, for your grace. Lord, it's amazing to think that instead of doing some crazy miracle in front of the Pharisees, you pointed back to a miracle that had just so much more relevance, which was the resurrection. Lord, I pray in this moment for my brothers and sisters who are living in sin. Lord, I pray that they would grasp that, that repentance can be their loudest praise, 
because it is that repentance that leads to restoration. Lord, I pray for someone in here who, who hasn't repented that first time before a holy God, that haven't been born again, that haven't put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for them. You know them by name. Lord, I pray that this morning would be that, that moment that they acknowledge their sin, that they acknowledge their Savior, and that they acknowledge that you are the only one that can restore their soul, their heart, their family, their situation. Lord, remind us, remind us that repentance is our loudest praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.